0: hello and welcome to lsa's sermon-based podcast pastor brian will be going through a series called always reforming looking at the protestant reformation and how it still changes us now we hope that you are blessed by the word of god today and now here is pastor brian well good morning again What a wonderful moment, isn't it? To have witnessed three people making their confession of faith publicly, coming out and and just showing people that they have been transformed by Jesus. That takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? To come out and to, to tell people that you believe, and then, on top of that, uh, to, to get wet. I think There's some people that will not get baptized because of the fear of just getting up and getting wet. And if you have perfectly coiffed hair, you, you don't look so pretty when you come out of that, of that water. But we had people today that just showed great courage, and we're so thankful for them. We're continuing along in, uh, in our series called Semper Reformanda. It's our final series, our final sermon in the series. It's called "Faith Alone." Faith Alone." And we're looking at two scriptures in particular. We're looking at Romans chapter four, or Romans chapter five verses one to two, and Romans chapter four verses one to five. Let me read you, uh, them for you right now. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. The word of the lord let's pray holy god i thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives right now lord when we open up the word when we hear it read something powerful begins to happen lord you by the power of your spirit start changing our hard hearts and you start softening them and you start preparing them for the work you've called us to lord we just pray that you would guide us now help us to not only hear the word, but to think about how we might apply the word in our lives. Lord, that we could be transformed and reformed, not just once, but throughout our lives, coming more and more in line with your scriptures, with your word, ultimately with the example of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right after swallowing, I knew I was in trouble. I had gone out for lunch with a family member at the local farmhouse restaurant in Rosenort, Manitoba. The food was great, as it always was. And after we were done, the waitress brought the check and, you know, those little round candies, my favorite. I opened mine and popped mine into, the, into my mouth. <laughs> Cinnamon, mmm, always my favorite. We kept our animated conversation going after paying the bill. At one point, I laughed at something he said, and I took a big breath, and that wonderful cinnamon candy went right to the back of my throat. And instead of coughing, I swallowed. And that candy lodged itself, oh, about halfway down my throat, and I could not breathe. The family member across the table was looking strange at me. He couldn't tell what was going on, so I got out of the booth to find help, and just as I stood up, it went down. And boy, did it hurt. What I was looking for was someone that was going to be able to help me. That was going to be able to perform what is called the Heimlich Maneuver to dislodge that candy. The Heimlich Maneuver, as you probably know, as you all probably know, is basically abdominal thrust to the diaphragm to help get rid of an obstruction. The Heimlich Maneuver is a tool you can use or someone can use to save your life. However, we would not say that the Heimlich maneuver itself saves you. Rather, the person applying that technique saves you. They just apply, again, the right technique. It's a very similar thing when we're talking about faith. When we're talking about faith, we're talking about the means of salvation. We have to be clear that faith itself doesn't save. It's not your faith in faith's ability to save you that saves you. Rather, instead, it's a tool that connects us with the one doing the saving, Jesus Christ. This morning in our short time together, we're going to discover that faith alone is the means by which we are saved. We're going to do this by dividing the two terms up and digging into each one. So we're going to look at faith, and then we're going to look at alone. First, let's look at the term faith. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. It says here that we are justified through faith. That is, we are made right, made legally right before God through faith. And when we read that, we all go, sure, we all know that. That's the way it is. Of course, I've heard this since Sunday school, that we're justified through faith. But do we really know what faith means, what it is? Faith is somewhat of a nebulous term. We're not quite sure what to make of it, so it's important to get a clear working definition of this word faith. The term faith in Greek, that's the language the New Testament was originally written in, is pistis, and it has a range of meanings. You can see the, I put it actually in the Greek lettering up there, so you can get that sense of how foreign uh, this language is. It's very different. And this word means confidence, certainty, trust, trustworthiness. So when we say that faith is required for salvation, we're saying more than you just have to have the right head knowledge in your brain in order, uh, regarding Jesus Christ in order to be saved. It's much more than that. Remember, even Satan knows a lot about Jesus. I would say this, Satan knows more about Jesus and is more sure about who Jesus is than anyone that has ever existed. He knows more, and yet he's not saved. So in order, that means that knowledge is not enough to save people. Faith is more than knowledge, especially when it comes to saving faith. However, at the same time, we must include a level of knowledge Uh, in faith, or what would you be having faith in? You wouldn't know what to trust in. You wouldn't know where to place your confidence if you didn't have some amount of knowledge of who Jesus was, this object of faith. There has to be a certain amount of knowledge in order to believe something to be true and trustworthy, and that's why it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, this is Paul speaking, faith comes from hearing. When he's saying faith comes from hearing, he's saying the content of what faith is all about comes through hearing. It comes through teaching. It comes through preaching. It comes through being taught. It comes through even reading the word. Uh, One uh, famous theologian said, when we're reading the word, the word itself is preaching to us. It's actually, this word is still coming to us. The spirit is guiding it to us. Through these various means of communication, we come to understand who jesus is and what he offers and the blessings that come from being in a relationship with him through uh through believing in him if you knew nothing about jesus would you trust in him the answer is no you do have to have a certain amount of knowledge and yet it is also still the case that knowledge of him remember a lot of people can have a lot of knowledge about who jesus is and they can even trick us, however, they never trick God, into thinking that they actually are Christians. We see this in the universities, um, uh, especially within the religious studies department. That's where I did my undergraduate at uh, Western, was in the religious studies program. And what you found were a lot of people who know lots about the Bible. They study it anthropologically, sociologically, psychologically. They have all these ways of investigating the word, but if you asked them, they wouldn't believe in Jesus as a reality, as the actual Son of God, actually died, actually resurrected. They are saying this is a cultural thing. It's a, well, They might call it a cultural artifact, something from the past that has, still has meaning today, but isn't really real. They wouldn't talk about, A personal relationship with God. So then for Christians, we know some important truths about Jesus. Particularly, we know about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. These are key. Furthermore, we say that everything we've learned about Jesus, if it's found in the Bible, and it's about Jesus, it is absolutely factually true. It happened just as it said it did. We believe that it is true that Jesus lived a perfect life that he had a sacrificial death, that he was resurrected. And that did something. It changed the world. It secured forgiveness for believers and made believers right with God so they could be in a good rela- a right relationship with God, a pure relationship with God even. This is why evangelicals like us get so bent out of shape when supposedly Christian leaders question the historic and foundational beliefs about Jesus, when they question the virgin birth, when they question the resurrection, when they question if he actually died, we should be out of our seats upset with someone that would claim to be a Christian and at the same time challenging these because these are the content of our faith. Our faith becomes less than what it is when we don't have that central truths those central truths here in our hearts but if faith is more than knowing certain things are true what more is it it is simply this it's trust and not just a heady trust we can look at this stool here and i could say that it can hold my weight and i trust it to hold my weight i can say that and i can believe it i can trust it but that's very different than a child with a stool. If I, like, for me, I, I may even just, yeah, just want to double check. Yeah, okay, I might sit down slowly because I've had experiences of things breaking. And so I'm going to sit down slowly. Does a child ever check it first? No, it says it's a stool. It's meant to be stood upon. That's what stools are for if you're a child, right? And you, you, jump, you jump off of it. This is what kids do. That's childlike faith. Childlike faith is jumping into the arms of Jesus. It is praising him for who he is without having to second guess it all. It's praising him for what he's done for you personally. At LSA, we are gonna ask you about your personal relationship with Jesus. We might ask you about your conversion story. We might ask you about your confession of faith. We might ask you about your journey of faith. And the reason we do that is because we want to hear about how the knowledge of Jesus went from your head to your heart. When things were transformed, as Cliff was up here giving his testimony, you're not hearing somebody who just knows about Jesus. You're talking to somebody whose life has been transformed by Jesus. And the great thing is he's got a witness. Jean. (laughs) He changed Something happened. Something's different now. He's not the same guy that he used to be. At one point, I love how Cliff stated it, he fell on his face and asked God to forgive him. And that's exactly what conversion is. God save me. I think Proverbs chapter three, verses five to six summarizes what faith looks like when it's childlike faith, includes head and heart. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart like a child, and lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on all your adult thinking and reasoning. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. And through this kind of faith, you're saved, not by faith, but through faith, uniting you to the Son here's where we get into the crux of the matter if you want to know what salvation actually is in its detail this is where we're going to talk about it just like i said at the beginning the heimlich maneuver doesn't save you the person using it saves you same here is jesus who saves you and he does this this is the key by uniting himself to you or uniting you to himself he gathers you up and unites you to himself You become, in a sense, you become one. And when he so unites you to himself, a wonderful transaction happens. The minute he unites you to himself, his righteousness becomes yours. So that you are counted as righteous. That's the condition of salvation. You have to be perfectly righteous. And when you become a Christian, his righteousness is credited to you. He lived that perfect life. He was perfectly righteous, and now that's yours. Now, important to note, this doesn't mean that you're transformed and become righteous. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the case? If you were transformed to become righteous, you wouldn't sin anymore. You have been transformed. You're now Jesus. No, no, you're not Jesus. (laughs) You're not perfect. You're still living a sinful life. However, Jesus' righteousness is still credited to you from now to eternity, forevermore. Look what it says in Romans chapter four, verses 23 to 24. The words it was credited to him, that is to Abraham, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. If you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that God did this, and you believe it not just in your head, but in your heart, you will have the credit of righteousness given to your account for eternity. The second term we're looking at this morning is alone. Romans chapter four, verses one to five. There are many people in the world who agree with the statement that we need to have faith in Jesus to be saved. Isn't that true? We all would believe that. The problem is that many people will add one little word and faith and baptism faith and righteous living faith and some sort of work that you have to do they add something to faith it's important to get in clarification here though because we do agree with the people that say faith and works but just not as it applies to salvation Most Christians understand that there must be a change in your life once you become a Christian. This is important, right? Once you become a Christian, you need to have changed. That's the um, example or the proof that the change has happened. Something is different in your life. You're acting in a different way. So that must mean Christ has had an impact on your life. But that's very different than saying that faith and works save you no one is saved by being good. Hear that so clearly. You don't have to wait until you're good to become a Christian, because you will wait for eternity. You will never be good. But through Christ, God, he can make you righteous through him. Look what the Bible teaches. If we look at Romans chapter 4 verse 2, we see that this is a big issue for Paul and his readers, right? He posits a hypothetical. He says this. If Abraham was justified by works. So he said, let's pretend here. Now, let's pretend this for you too. If you were justified by works, if that was the case, what would be the result? The result would be that you could boast in your works. And you know what? We could look down our noses at all those other people out there. If we're justified by our works, we can say, oh, look at those fools out there. They're not as smart as us. They're not as good as us. They're not as righteous as us. They don't have the same willpower as us look at us we're the right ones we made the choice we made the decision It's on our power that we're here no that is incorrect paul would never say that that was okay if they uh, don't have works like us that doesn't mean that we are somehow better than them none of us have any reason to boast because none of us and none of our works justify us there is not one righteous person that has ever lived except Jesus. No righteous people. We're still not righteous. Any righteous people here? Maybe there are some. No? There are no righteous people. We're not righteous. None of us are. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can add to faith that will make you more worthy of being saved. What needs to happen to be saved, is in verse 3. Abraham believed. He had faith. That's it. He trusted what God said about his future and the future of his descendants, and this was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness is what we need to be saved. The problem is, again, we're ungodly people. We're not righteous. This is the mistake that the world makes, and maybe we're the cause of it. We have to let them know, we're not telling you to be saved from a position of superiority. Rather, we're in the, we've been there in the dark. We know what's down there, because we've been there. What we're trying to do is, is just tell you about how you can find salvation as well, even though you're not righteous, because if you're not righteous, you're just like me. Thankfully, by faith alone, we can receive the gift of God, a righteousness that is not our own, but is Jesus'. Friends, this morning we have witnessed three people letting the world know through baptism that they have committed their lives to Jesus, that they trust in Jesus for their salvation, for their eternal life. They know that through no work of their own are they saved. Did anybody get up here and say, it was by my great works that I'm saved? No. They know they're saved by faith alone so that his righteousness is credited to them. If this morning you know yourself to be a sinner and you confess it freely, you believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose to new life for your salvation, if this is more than head knowledge for you but is translated down into your heart, has become your childlike faith, your trust in Jesus, where you run and you cling to him and have yet not been baptized, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Don't say you're too old. The average age of our baptism candidates today, well, I won't say what the average age is, but it's older. And these people today prove to us it's never too late to be baptized. I, in many ways, it's never too early to be baptized. When you have got that confession of faith, think about the Ethiopian eunuch. Did we have to wait? Did he have to get himself right with God first? No, the first step of getting right with God after you've been saved is baptism. You don't have to wait. It's something that you do because you want to display to God, you want to follow him. So right now, the water is really warm. It's beautiful. Make a decision today, even if it's not for today, make a decision today to be baptized. Because you love the Lord Jesus and you want to follow him and that you have faith alone. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for the work that you've done in our lives. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us right now as we prepare ourselves for the uh, new members that are coming and making uh, a decision here today to uh, commit to walk with us as a church, even as we celebrate the baptismal candidates as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you are in our area, we would love for you to come and join us in person. Or maybe you want to partner with us financially. You can support our ministry by going to lsa.church/give. Make sure you subscribe for all our new content and hit the like button if you've enjoyed the content. And until next time, be blessed and we will see you soon.